0: The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. And you're very welcome to the RTE Rugby Podcast. As we look back on the last 16 of the Champions Cup just gone, we'll also look ahead to Friday Night Rugby this weekend, URC back and we have an interprovincial Derby on Saturday, Friday night you look forward to at Ravenhill plus the women's Six Nations kicks on as well as Ireland go to England maybe the less said about that the better in the company of Neil Tracy Donald and, and Fiona Hayes you're all very welcome guys and um, look we'll get straight into it Donald before we get into the matches um, as such at the weekend and lots to talk about there just your overall thoughts on the two legged nature of the last 16 do you think as a concept that it was uh, worth embracing and do you think it worked?
1: Yeah, I did, I have to say. I thought it, uh, it added something novel, something that we're not used to in rugby. Um, and when you look at the games, uh, you know, I watched a lot of the games over the two weekends. Uh, it forced teams to play to the death. Uh, teams, you look at the Harlequins in Montpellier, they were 34 nil down a half an hour into the game. Uh, at any other stage, you'd think, well, look, they might start concentrating on the premiership, but uh, they kept playing. They brought it within 14 points, and as a consequence of that, it meant that their game back in the stoop was alive. We saw that all over the place. You look at Toulouse against Ulster away, uh, fourteen men for seventy minutes in the game. Ulster in control uh, was a thirteen points up with a minute to go. Toulouse kept playing. In other times, you know, they might they, that might not have happened if it was a, a knockout game. So from that point of view, yeah, I thought it was outstanding. Um, I know it is. You know, it's a bit kind of clumsy in some degree, but. Uh, originally it was brought in uh, for the quarterfinal stage. When the concept came up first, it was brought in for quarterfinals. but because of the COVID and the necessity to kind of get more teams out of the pool stage when they created this round of 16, um, it was then decided to have it at that stage of the tournament. I think, you know, going from 24 teams to 16 teams, there's still too much deadwood floating around. Uh, I think... Mm. I persist with the concept, but I bring it back next year for the quarterfinals because right. you know yourself, you can be unlucky the way things work out in the pool stage, at least um, by having the home and away leg in Europe, it does give you a, a sort of a second go at it. I would persist with the higher ranking team having the second game at home. So therefore, you know, you have that incentive as, as Munster had, you know, when they were Beaten in Exeter, it was all about keeping the margin of defeat uh, in Sandy Park as narrow as possible because you felt bringing any team back to Thurman Park, you'd have a great chance of closing that gap. So, overall, uh, I think it's worth persisting with, but I would Suggest bring it in a quarterfinal stage.
0: What did you think, Fiona? Overall, did you enjoy it?
2: Loved it. Thought it was brilliant. New addition I every game nearly was alive when it came to the second leg. Our leg, I watched that uh, Bristol Sale game. The first game, I nearly fell asleep. It was so boring that uh, that scoring was horrific. But then we saw what a cracker the next game. So it gave the two to two sides a uh, a chance to put on a real show. And I just mm. thought it was brilliant for the game. And as we saw, you know the narrow margins. We saw poor Ulster, which lose but but it just made for cracking games now the lads bodies mightn't feel uh, like they loved it two weeks in a row but for the spectator yeah. it was brilliant
0: it was neil tracy so happy with months result he's on the cans of guinness at 10 a.m in the morning are you drinking guinness there what's in the cup there? oh that's Hold coffee up, don't right. worry that's coffee Sure. okay i have a bad reputation i think you're gonna do me if you're on the guinness at 10 a.m. in the morning but um, I, I was laughing at uh, neil i was laughing at Stephen jones um you know, I generally tend to laugh at Stephen Jones when he puts up these tweets. But uh, he put up on, I think, one of the Friday when Montpellier named their team that this is an absolute disgrace and they're just throwing away the competition in favour of the top 14. And then Montpellier go out and do what they did to Harlequins. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I, I remember seeing those on Friday afternoon as well. And straight away, you're just thinking, oh, there's only one way these can age, you know, and in yeah. the end, it turned like milk. But um, I'd go along with what Fiona and Joan were saying. I thought the, the two-legged nature, like it really, really added to... Not all the games, obviously. There were a couple that ended up in blowouts at like Leinster and Connacht. And you, know, you had Sale and Bristol on Friday night was absolutely brilliant. And just constantly back and forth. Uh, Ulster and Toulouse, like 50-49 across two legs. Like, it's just unbearably okay. close. Even being in Thoman Park on Saturday afternoon as well. And during the second half, when Exeter had kind of gone back in front over the two legs, even though when you look at the scoreline, Munster were 26-10 winners on the day. Like, it's a 16-point win. In theory, that's a that's a relatively comfortable success, but my only memory of that second half was that there was unbearable tension across Thomond Park. Like it was absolutely unbearable. The only thing I would say is that there has to be a kind of there's to be a lot of thought now over the next few months as to if they do want to persist with this next season, what way do they do it? Do you I think they will. It, it's really tough to figure out because as good as it was, and I know Donald was saying as well. You'd rather have it at a quarter final stage, which I'd agree with as well. But the problem as well is you've to find that extra weekend somewhere to fit it in. Because if they were to do it the same as they did this year, the problem is, like if we think back to December and January, the pool stages were pretty bad this year. Mm-hmm. It was it, it was it was a tough it was a tough goal watching that across across mm-hmm. those four rounds when a lot of teams were, you know, phoning it in after after one or two games, to be totally honest. You had a lot to wade through. To get to these brilliant last sixteen games, so I think they really need to figure out what do they want to prioritize. Do they want to have a better tournament the whole way through, or they want do they want more drama once you hit the knockout stage? But
0: that's it. I, don't I think, I think it's very sorry you, I, go on. Yeah. Sorry,
1: I, I think a lot of that, Daniel, was due to the fact that you have twenty four teams in it, um, and then you know when you have just the, the the four um pool games, a lot of them are gone. Like they're you know. I mean, there was no no welsh team, for example, made even the last sixteen. I mean, they're so off the radar at the moment; it's it's, it's quite embarrassing for them. Um, but I, I, personally, I think the competition needs to go back to uh, to twenty, keep the quality there, and, and build from there. I, I, I accept what you're saying about trying to build in an extra match, but look, um, you, if you go back to the four, and then you go the quarter final. Sorry, you go back to 20 teams and have the quarterfinal and the home and away leg. Yeah. Uh, I think you can build around it that way.
0: Yeah, you wouldn't have to find necessarily an extra week then. And, and if you think as well, the group stage, this you know, this year, Fiona, I think Neil is right. You don't want to have a situation where you're almost like Champions League level where nobody cares about the group stage, it's only when you get to the knockout draw that people start paying attention. And I think this year, like you had Montpellier who were hammered in the first match, they got the you know, the gift of the four-point bonus and five-point bonus points um, by the Leicester not showing up. And then they, they managed to win one game, I think, and they get there Anyway, look, th- th- the point was that it was a bit of a shambles, the pool stage, and you wouldn't want to see that, I-, I don't think, for the next few seasons, would you?
2: No, it wasn't enjoyable. Some of the games near the end, I know COVID interfered with a lot of fixtures and that when people were getting points here and there, but it just, it was it was a bit of a shambles, as Neil said. There was just, you know, people playing one game, they knew that they'd get points for the next game and going through and sailing through. And that meant it, um, you know, when we get to this stage of the competition, now we're looking at home and away fixtures that are based, Stuff kind of people getting gifted points as well so look you could you can't stop what happened there but I think definitely going forward it needs to be the shorter teams that's always worked and even that home in a way like build that in somewhere now quarterfinal semi-final wherever it is but definitely got people standing and cheering and really kind of shook up the tournament as it was
0: absolutely okay we'll just take some of the key points again from the matches right involving the Irish promises. we'll start with Leinster Connacht you know a, a key moment in the game and I don't like to pin it on him but it certainly was for me watching the uh, when Jack Carty stepped up to take that penalty after Connacht had made a really good start to the game and he pushed it left and wide. And I just went, oh, Christ, you know, is this a sign of things to come? Because I wanted a competitive game more than anything else. After that, Leinster just seemed to flick into gear and they never looked back, really, did they?
1: No, they didn't. There was. A, uh, I, was to, I was at the game, the, the Connacht-Leinster uh, game, the first round in, um, in Galway, which was a fantastic game. Galway, our Connacht got that try, the porch try after two or three minutes. You could see Leinster were struggling to integrate their internationals back. Uh, the quality of of Connacht's attacking game was was incredible, brilliant game. Um, but look, to be fair, Clarity he missed a kick that he should have got. And you I mean that is the one small question mark around Jack Clarity in terms of international level key place kicks like that? We've seen that happen in the past. But look, let's at the time I felt, yeah, oh God, look, you've got to take every point against Leinster. That would have put them six 0 up. But I think it was an irrelevance, really. I mean, Leinster were so good. They were so competent over the entire remaining 75 minutes that uh, had he got the kick, uh, it was only a kind of so, um, a stay of execution, if you what like. What you're saying to
0: me is, I've written down, it's all Jack Carty's fault. That's not right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's
1: probably one of your one of your usual rants that's way over the top. That's uh, Completely and utterly irrelevant. Irrelevant as always, yeah. but uh, well, look, I thought Leinster. I mean, they were so clinical, and the way they finished, they just kind of ratcheted up through the gears. And they're in a position. I mean, in Galway, um, I was talking to one of the Leinster backroom people, and they were saying, look, the the internationals coming back off the Six Nations. They were knackered, and they were—you know—it was difficult trying to transit them in. We've seen now, as a consequence of that, Leo Cullen has taken the decision to leave the vast majority of them at home, not bringing them to South Africa for the two URC games. So, uh, and I think Cullen more than anyone, when you consider the couple of years that he had in Leicester Tigers in in Welford Road, he will be conscious. Um, you know, with Leinster over the years, you you know. Games are are pretty easy to predict, let's be honest about it. Um, You see them winning the vast majority. Now, I I still think they'll win in Welford Road, but there's a contest in that game. It's sort of the old rising, a sleeping giant has been awakened by Steve Bordwick there in Welford Road. They will love nothing better than Leinster with all their internationals coming over. Uh, And but Cullen, I mean, you couldn't get a better guy. And to be fair, Stuart Lancaster knows the the English system better than most. That's going to be a cracking quarterfinal. And to be fair to EPCR, we've given them a bit of stick over the years in terms of the the way the competition changed from ERC, EPCR. They went down the road of, you know, they thought they'd generate millions, which hasn't happened. Uh, And the the tournament is in a sort of a, a holding stage, if you like. But to get to where we are, like the quarterfinals, the four quarterfinals that we have are all going to be incredibly competitive. So maybe with the exception of Montpellier, who you mentioned kind of snuck in the back door, have been hammered in two of their three pool games that they played. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you've got practically, you know, you've nearly all the best teams in the tournament, which is what you want. So uh, it's a good result overall. Neil, do you think
0: Leinster have the steel to go all the way this year and by steel I guess I'm saying power they have the power up front when they meet a Toulouse when they meet a Racing, when they meet a La Rochelle. I don't know necessarily if they'll meet it against Leicester despite how well Leicester are playing but when they come up against those big French units so they have the power do you think to get past what they couldn't get past over the last couple of years
3: Yeah I, I, do, I do think they have it I think particularly as well the facts, the fact this year as well that you're going to have a front row of Andrew Porter Tyke furlong and Ronan Keller makes a massive difference as well and also then Dan Sheehan is a year further down the line like the I think they're, you're still looking at their second row maybe and thinking they need that big <clears throat> lock in there which is something they're trying to get next season with Jason Jenkins but mm-hmm. I think the difference they've, they've made in between last season and this season is that their front row in particular is a bit beefier it's a bit stronger it's a bit more powerful just with carries and tackles and things like that and meeting people at the gain line so I think that's the difference they probably have made in the last 12 months it's Look, again, it's probably going to be, you know, they're you think they will be there, or thereabouts. They're certainly good enough to do it. I think a lot of us, I'd certainly be thinking most likely outcome a Leinster Racing 92 final. If I was to be trying to predict the whole way through, I I absolutely think they have enough to, to go all the way. And if they do lose, I don't
2: necessarily
3: think it's going to be just because of power. It, it might just yeah. be yeah. Someone, someone
0: better beats them on the day, you know. You're nodding your head there, Fiona. Do you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I, I think they've, uh, like Cullen has has spent the year, I suppose he's looked at that, t- you know, from last year's game, it probably haunts him. So I think it's an area I've definitely seen improvements, but I think it's the footwork around the contact area. He's really improved in the forwards and especially the big ball carriers. So Neil talked about gain line. They're getting gain line because you can see when they hit that, there's a lot more footwork and there are a lot more clinical around that area. So you're not going to beef up massively, I suppose, in, in a year. And he's he seems to be happy enough with his squad. I know we're looking at the Jenkins come and he wants to that big prop or that big uh, tight head uh, lock behind, you know, a big beefier guy. And I can see that, but I I feel like they can go all the way this year. I think they've dealt, they've looked at certain areas and it's somewhere he's focusing off. And especially we see with the squad going to South Africa, it's what he wants. It's what the whole management team wants. And I, I think they can beat that But
0: Okay. What did you make a monster on Saturday then Fiona? I have to say like hands out here. I thought they'd be walloped at Sandy Park, so I was very surprised that they managed to keep the score within the line that they did. And I still thought they'd lose, given they were missing Byrne, given they were missing Coombs, um, you know, Dave Kilcoyne. I still thought they'd lose, but they definitely are playing a better brand of rugby at the moment. And they seem a lot happier out on the pitch with the brand they're playing. I'm not all convinced that it's all down to Johan van Gran. in fact. I think maybe the opposite there, but that's something for another day. But definitely Munster look a better side in the last three or four weeks than we've seen in the last four years.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, the biggest thing I've seen the shift in is defensively. I think they were absolutely outstanding in both legs at a tie. I know we've questioned attack wise. I thought their launch plays offset piece went really well. You know, they 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 really hit the areas they wanted to have, probably didn't get SIBO as much ball as the crowd want to see. But I have to say, I was at the game and it's been a long time since I've seen Thoman Park like that. It was absolutely hopping. Uh I was in the I was in the middle of the terrace and it was just absolutely brilliant. And I think that added to it. And we and we saw, you know, players stand up. Peter Omani was absolutely outstanding I thought the land, they had a great game Jack who I talk about him every week I watch him play he's just immense and I think they really took that level up and Joey Carberry who's a guy who's gotten stick as well we haven't said he's performed well at Munster he really took the reins and and he was the orchestra you know we talk about Johnny Sexton I thought he was absolutely brilliant and his kicking was outstanding so I think they've they've taken what they've been said on board we saw round three the last game they got an absolute uh, I won't uh, curse but they got told what to do at halftime over and it, and I think you can see that the players are standing up and they know they're not happy with the style of rugby that they're playing and we saw a different team in the last in the last game especially. I think we saw a real character heart but execution in areas as well and that was a big thing for me.
0: Have you noticed a big shift, Donald? I, I, th- I think there has been
1: a shift. <coughs> yeah, look, I think there has been a, a shift in mindset really but before that i just uh, I just wondering had the camera shifted to Fiona on the terrace there as opposed to Jack Noel in the stands and he's still his bottle of Corona <laughs> what would we have seen from... A lunatic lunatics uh, swinging out of the from, rafters, I'd you know, say. Now. <laughs> no comments. I think, you go back two or three weeks ago, for the first time, you saw publicly the cracks beginning to appear when, you know, Peter Romani kind of did admit in a press conference, yes, it's not ideal that we don't know what's happening. Um, the fact that you have some clarity around that is a huge plus. Um, I think Munster did incredibly well to come back from Sandy Park, only five points down. Let's be honest. They could have been 20 behind at half time. I yeah. mean, the defensive goal line stands, the the and you had Johnny Gray held up over the line by by somebody else. They were all key factors. So, but look, that's desire. I mean, that's something. Um, you know, I must say. I got a little bit annoyed when, when Van Graan came out after the game in Exeter and he was talking about, uh, you know, we have heart and we are steel and we play to the death and it stand up and fight. They're things we've had for 100 years. Go back and look at the tourists coming in in 1905 and the same thing happened. Uh, Van Graan not bring uh, that in on
0: his own, no? Is that not his idea? <laughs> no?
1: no, but you got you know, just the technical aspects of it, that's what I want to see at it. Um, Uh, Look, I always felt Munster had had it in them to overturn that five points deficit. Had it been 15 points, it's a different scenario because Munster have been finding it difficult to score tries. But the other element you have to take into consideration, uh, and let's be realistic because that's, you know, that's our job. And you're looking at what, you know, what's ahead of them with Toulouse and potentially Leinster uh, in a semi-final Exeter Chiefs are nowhere near the team that they did the double two years ago. The change in the law, the latching close in in terms of, mm. of their ability to convert pressure in the 22 to points, that's not there anymore. Also factor in, and yes, absolutely right, to, to highlight the fact that Ty Byrne, in particular, Dave Kilcoyne, Munster were missing a few, but they were missing three British and Irish Lions up front in Luke Cown, Dickey, Johnny Hill, Sam Simmons crying off, and then you're Jack Nowell. So you've got to factor all those things. Yeah. In those circumstances, I fully expected Munster to advance to the quarterfinal. Um, so, from that point of view, no, I wasn't surprised. Um, I think they're in a good place now, but uh, they a very tough game. I know we talk about it coming down the line. Ulster Friday night is a huge game in the context of them trying to get that home quarterfinal and a potential semi final in, in the URC. Uh, there is a massive desire within that group um, just to, to, I suppose, maximize the strengths that they have and the quality that they have within the group. I've, I've been critical uh, over the last six months that the of and Hodnett haven't been given the opportunities that they deserve. I remember interviewing Jack O'Donohue for the, for the Munster Academy. I think he was the last fellow that I was involved in that we brought in. Uh, and I always saw Jack as a number eight. And I think he was back in his best position. Uh, you know, he's a, he is literally the jack of all trades. He plays six. He's a seven, but he's not an out-and-out out seven. Yeah. Um, he's a brilliant line-out operator. Um, and I think, you know, on his performances this year, he deserves to start in that back row somewhere. It's what about Hodnett as well, the Donald? The,
0: co- the compliment that Amani and Hodnett and I don't know who seem to... Like, the, the cohesion with which they seem to work around the pitch, I think... It's almost Munster's best. And I don't want to, obviously, Coombs is a fantastic player, but there just seems to be something about that back row when they work together that Munster look very dangerous.
1: Yeah, well, look, the, the I, I think there's an issue with the English teams. The Premiership um, isn't sort of referee the way the, the, the breakdown. The, it's, it's almost as if the opposition, allow you, they, they're not as competitive on the deck uh, in the Premiership. And, like, Exeter knew what was coming. Certainly they knew what was coming in Thomond Park after what happened the previous week because, again, I thought Hodnett and O'Donoghue were outstanding in, in, in Sandy Park. Peter O'Mahony gave his, his best performance in, in years. And you could see, you know, Peter, when you see Peter beforehand and you have the, the vacant stare when he's walking around the pitch. Yeah, you know, somebody's in trouble today. But, you know, he, he was outstanding. It was exactly what Munster needed at that point in terms of their, their, their key players to stand up. And uh, listen, I'm watching Hodnet. We covered him with the Irish 20s when they won that Grand Slam. I've seen him play for UCC over the years. He does that week in, week out. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's all about balance. And you'll need Coombs. Depends who you're playing in a semi-final. If, you're, if they get to a semi-final, or even against Toulouse, I'm not sure if he's in the running for that. But he is a physical presence. He is a ball-carrying threat that the likes of Peter doesn't have, let's say, or Jack O'Donoghue to a lesser degree. So it's all about getting the mix right. It's all about mm. starting well. It's all about controlling the game line. Then you filter those other fellas in. But the bottom line is, wow. and this is why I would have been most critical of Munster this year, I believe they have a very, a very strong squad that they, they, a lot of the performances weren't reflecting the quality of the players that are there. I think we're now getting to a point where we're seeing that with the exception, and, and Fiona alluded to it there, like Simon Zebra got one decent pass in the whole game, and he touched he the ball twice, to... Donald.
0: He touched the ball yeah. twice, one of which set up that incredible try. He didn't well, even yes. get a, he didn't it. He didn't
3: even get a decent pass. He had so much work to do when he got that ball yeah, out well, yeah. You know, the at least
0: deflected
1: at least it was behind
0: you, him. Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: it, it, at least you. It's better. Uh, I've back a long time now. The monster game. When, uh, you probably didn't know, Munster beat the All Blacks in 1978. They told <laughs> nobody did about it. 78! <laughs> oh, God. Because <laughs> <Well>, camera's <laughs> there. We haven't seen that in a minute. My good friend, Finn was, uh, was on the wing that oh, day. Yeah. And uh, we often talk about it. The only time he, ta- he says, the only time I've touched the ball against the All Blacks, three times I handed it to Parr Wheeler to throw it into the line That's... <laughs> 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 uh, uh, I mean when you compare when you compare that Simon's even got two You got two passes what's he given out about we've come a long way since 78
0: <laughs> um, but okay well then Neil just moving on a little bit just before we move on to Ulster then um, you know if, if you're looking at this Friday night even with Ulster and even against Toulouse like you know does Craig Casey have to come in for consideration for a start or or, or would you be happy enough that Conor Murray, you know, because he's started the last couple of games and Munster have come through the tie, deserves to go again? And the reason I ask is that there's just a notable injection of pace when Casey comes on at scrum half, is that one of Munster's strengths that they can bring him off the bench and kind of increase the tempo when they need to? Or is there a serious case that he should start the match?
3: There, well, there probably is serious consideration he starts. And I, look, I think it's, it's actually quite likely as well. We were on, I was on Johan van Grand's press conference there yesterday, and he kind of hinted that. At some point over these next two weeks, he probably will have to be rotating in and out as internationals, given you know just kind of managing minutes and things like that. Ahead Hopefully of that. not Friday night
0: though against Ulster. And surely that's, that's a full state team. know, like. if
3: if if he has to be taking out internationals for that game, where Munster in theory, depending on the result, Munster could finish the weekend anywhere from second to eighth in the table, which is yeah. just <laughs> incredible. And it, to be honest, it's, it's exactly what the URC needed to have a, a top eight as tightly bunched as that. But that's a different point anyway. But on on mm-hmm. and Casey. I think you can actually kind of just pick and choose your games with the two of them at this stage in a kind of a horses for courses way. Do you want do you want that kind of injection of pace from Casey from the start or do you want a game manager on early to get you into a good position and then unleash someone like Craig Casey in the last 20 minutes? I think mm-hmm. it worked quite well over the last two weeks where you're playing a team like Exeter, you probably wanted that bit of game management from Murray and in those in that final quarter, Casey came on and he was absolutely brilliant as well. I think Murray maybe. I don't think he had his best game last week, but I think in the first leg at Sandy Park, he was himself and Jack O'Donoghue who were probably the two, you know, standout players from a Munster point of view, particularly in defence for Murray. Um, I think if I was to be picking the team myself, I think this week I might still just go along with Murray for that first, you know, for that first half, fifty-five, sixty minutes, and then get Casey on at the end, you know, get a bit of injection into the game. I think with the way Ulster play, a lot of physicality. You know, they've, a, they've an outstanding maul and I think having someone like Connor Murray just behind that, just kind of dictating things a little bit and controlling things in defence might just be a bit preferable uh, and then be with Ulster for most of the game and then get that bit of pace injected at the end.
0: You'd really hope, though, that Van Graan, you know, puts out his strongest available team on Friday night for a massive Interpro up in Belfast. Fiona, after Ulster, the disappointment of Toulouse was there. You mentioned Towan Park, the atmosphere there. I, I couldn't hear myself think in Kingspan Stadium. It, as such was the level of noise created. The Ulster fans wholly convinced that Ulster were going to do it. They'll never have a better chance. They should have done it. And look, I'm sure Dan McFarland at the end will say, look, we blew it. We blew a massive opportunity.
2: Definitely. I, I thought they, I, I really backed them to win this one. I, I know Kingspan is hopping. They've got back that atmosphere. Definitely this year, it's it's been amazing. No one's coming away with wins up there. Um, and I thought they played really well. I know they had the yellow early, both teams had it. And I thought they kind of controlled the game earlier on. But just when it got into that second half, I think things went awry. I know the Tom O'Toole raid obviously was was a massive uh, impact on the game. Um, I thought they should have maybe taken a kick earlier in the game as well for post. But these are things you look back and and you say you know um you know at that time obviously that you weren't feeling it, but it was it was a game. They he said they have to have a beer, cry and get over it and move on. And I think he's correct because it was it was they played really well at times. Of talk McIlroy was outstanding. Standing. Burns actually had a really good game as well, but it just you can't you you had to lose on the ropes and they didn't put them away. And I think it it'll go back to the first leg is when they really should have put that to bed. I think
0: they should have done. And like look, the only way to beat Toulouse really, I think, is just to starve them of possession. Ulster did that really good job of that away in France, ironically, and they they just didn't do as good a job. Toulouse made a lot of mistakes on the night on Saturday night. They dropped a lot of passes that you just don't see. I even. You know, like their key halfbacks just weren't as good as they normally are, as tight as they normally are, um, and Ulster just could not take advantage of the situation, which I'm sure Dan McFarland is hugely frustrated by.
1: Well, Ulster have been down this road a number of times before. I mean, they've just managed to sort of mess things up, and they they have to recognise number one, rugby is an 80 minute game. You go back to Toulouse. I mean, the fact that that they're 13 points up with, with three minutes to go and they're still uh, out of nothing, then max scores a try. I mean, we know that that's what Toulouse are capable of, but I mean, could you see Leinster, for example, in that situation? Defensively, you've just got to be so resolute that those gaps don't appear. Um, you know, they can hang their, their, their hat on the Tom O'Toole thing. Uh, they have to recognise that uh, uh, Toulouse played for seventy minutes uh, last week with 14 men. They had to do it for 15 minutes. And uh, I agree with you. I was watching the game. Toulouse, uh, it was almost reckless abandon. Some of the offloads they were doing. I mean, the DuPont pop five yards from his own line when they took that quick line with Ramos. You're wondering, does he think this is an exhibition game? Are they opening the stadium today or what is he doing? Yeah. Um, but yes, they have this genius. I mean, the fact DuPont, you know, he, he, he's not quite where he was. He must be exhausted or something. He's not playing at the level that we know he's capable of. But yet, he, in every game, he produces moments of brilliance that are the difference between winning and losing. I mean, they shifted into ten for the last. Uh, I think Entomac did in the centre, and uh, he was brilliant. I mean, he 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 scored that try with five minutes to go. But Ulster have been down this road so many times before, and I think Ulster have made massive strides this year. Yeah. Um, that backline again. I thought Fiona's is right. Uh, uh, McElroy the try, he had no right to score the Crossfield kick one. I mean, he just plucks it over the air. He's imbalanced. He pulls it down with one hand. Score. I thought James Hume in the centre was outstanding. Uh, and in fact, you could almost sense the Toulouse fellas looking at him, saying, "Who in the name of God is this fella?" Yeah. Um, like they wouldn't recognise he has played for Ireland, came off the bench in the Six Nations. But uh, I can tell you, in another, in another time. Uh, Ugo Mala, the coach, would be looking at him and say, you know, he's a guy who could add something to Toulouse. Toulouse, midfield at the moment, I know they have a couple of injuries, they're just lacking a little bit of balance there, so they're not quite at the level they were at last year. They're under pressure to get uh, into that uh, top six position or to consolidate that in the French League. So it'd be interesting to watch what they're going to do over the next two weeks. Big two weeks in the top 14. Uh, I think Personally, they'll be thrilled that they're not going back to Thurman Park as opposed to uh, the Aviva Stadium. But uh, just, just before we go on to that, um, Ulster, they should have won it. And then they'd have had Munster in Ravenhill. And you'd have to say on the balance of the way the both teams are playing, you'd, you'd have to favour Ulster to win that, get into a semi-final.
0: And Donald, Dan, Dan McFarland has spoken about this this season. He said, and, and I remember this line specifically because it stood out to me. He said, we're a great, we're a terrible team when we're, we're, we're favourites to win. He said, like, we're, we're a terrible side for getting over the line when we were expected to get over the line in big games. And that must be, we talked about Munsters stand up and fight and their resilience, I guess, over the last couple of legs, It must be very frustrating for, for a coach when he has everything else seemingly right. And, and that's the, the, the link that's missing.
1: Yeah, look, it's, it, it's the only link that's missing there because they haven't proved, like we uh, we would have been critical of their front five, for example, in the past number of years. That was the missing hand. No, uh, Ian Henderson is back to his best. Alan O'Connor, to be fair, is a kind of an unsung hero for them when you consider that uh, Kieran Treadwell was coming off the bench. He, he got two caps off the bench in the last two Six Nations games, but he's not starting for Ulster. So all of a sudden... They have a bit of depth and you have Sam Carter, a Wallaby, behind those three. Uh, I think their scrum has improved. Uh, Marty Marty Moore looks a bit fitter than he has been and that has helped their scrum. So from that point of view, once you get that platform, and then Vermeulen has been outstanding. And yeah. you can see the influence that he has on the likes of, of Nick Timoney. Uh, young Marcus Ray has been selected ahead of Jordy Murphy. So being able to bring Jordy Murphy in. They now have that strength and depth that they didn't have. And that young backline line is, right. uh, you know, with Balakoon, Lowry, McIlroy, Hume. And I think, to be fair, McCluskey is back to where he was two or three years ago. And again, Fiona's right, Billy Burns probably had one of his best games. So, you know, the ingredients are there. It yeah. must be sickening for them. But no, no different to Munster. Um, now, Munster are still in Europe. But if you're Ulster now, You've got to put every single ounce into winning the the URC.
0: Yeah, 100%. Now, look, you mentioned the war here, Donald. And like, we, yeah, we need to put our cards on the table. But, you know, not a lot of people have noticed, but I noticed, I guess, you and I have toured quite a way. You're a massive Ed Sheeran fan. You have their Sheeran <laughs> pajamas. You love all his music, all his albums up on the wall, posters and everything. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, Donald, can you separate yourself here, despite the fact that he's playing at Tobin Park in your front row <laughs> seats? Like, like, can you understand the decision by the Munster Council and the Munster branch to take that concert when they did, with, I guess, the question marks over whether Munster would A, get to a quarterfinal, B, would it be a home quarterfinal if they did, and see the dates around it. Can you understand um, how this situation has arisen?
1: Well, can I just say, the only time I've ever heard Ed Sheeran songs are in a karaoke <laughs> bar, having to listen to you, in Japan and New Zealand. Apart from that, I don't know what he sings. OK? So... <laughs>
0: Stop! stop
1: telling thing. secrets out of shop there. Will you? Yeah. Well, I tell you, you you anyway. I, I won't comment on your voice, but uh, <laughs> to be fair to Munster, I think look, this was the the, the Ed Sheeran thing came up uh, a long time ago, um, and this was an opportunity uh, to make serious money financially. Munster, uh, you know, look, it's been a horrible time for professional sport. Rugby hasn't been spared by the the impact of the pandemic. Uh, Munster, more than the other provinces, are under serious financial um, difficulty due to the redevelopment of Thomond Park. That's a kind of a noose over their neck. And to be fair, the RFU have changed the uh, repayment schedule on it. They've given them sort of holiday payments. uh, But it's a noose over their neck, and it's something that they've had to address. It is impacting on their capacity to... Uh, signed players um, so it is something that has to be addressed now you can argue yeah look um, they should have known that the quarter final time in Europe is around May uh, but I think the, sheer, the, the opportunity to get these concerts came up uh, well over 12 months ago so from that point of view I think they had to go for it I mean we're talking about Toulouse and Ulster had Toulouse not got that try at the death then Monster would be travelling to Raven Hill and we wouldn't be mm. talking about it. Look, it's it's the same argument is going on here in Cork because obviously the hurdlers and footballers are are being discommoded by the fact that the uh, Parky is out of commission uh, for a couple of weeks after the concerts there. It look, it's a fact of life. It's unfortunate, um, but I I think what has magnified it more is the fact that for the first time in almost three years, Thoman Park was mm-hmm. back to what we knew and love and what makes days there so special. You got a, a a taste of that for the first time in three years and you felt, oh God, like if ever you needed that, now it's Toulouse coming to town. Uh, it's unfortunate, but look, uh, I can understand the thinking of, of Munster at the time. What do you think, Fiona?
2: Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, they needed money. There was people being let off. I think it was two years ago they said that they agreed to do this. I think he came out and said that. Um, my big thing is Plan B. Why is there a Plan B in place? Like, I know, Musk are, I know, like, it's that Cork, concerts are down in Cork as well, but parky rain i throw it out there why why is plan b the aviva do you know what i mean there, there needs to be something yeah. else if if it isn't if, if if we're looking at a big capacity and it can't be Toman park and something's gone yeah. wrong there has to be somewhere else the aviva is very far away it's not essentially a home game i don't think i've got i watched the saracens game up there before and you don't you don't feel like it's a home game so it will interfere with how as much as, as van graan says it will interfere in the game because it's not the same atmosphere the players love that they soak that up but look it is what it is we you just have to get on with it, but I would be wondering why there isn't somewhere else looked at.
1: Yeah, well, there is. I, sorry, sorry, Hugh, on that, there is it's the perfect storm, really. I mean, Munster, uh, they've done feasibility studies on on playing the game and playing games, big games in Parky Creek, and you know, they've done it on the basis of a 30,000, 45,000, 45,000 crowd, and it's very feasible. I know from my own context, the Cork County Board. Um, who are also desperate obviously to pay the debt on the new Park Creeve, they're crying out for Munster to play in Park Creeve. But again, it's just unfortunate that um, this has come up at a time. A the, the, the championship, the All Ireland series, yeah. as we know, is way it's starting way earlier than it would have in times past. That's the first thing. The mm-hmm. second thing is because of their two concerts, not alone as Parky Creeve ruled out for the quarter final. I think it could be ruled out for the semi-final. I like the one that will really annoy me is if Munster beat Toulouse and Leinster make the semi-final. Munster are the higher-ranked team and therefore entitled to host the semi-final. Where is it going to be? The Aviva. I mean, you know, (laughs) uh, that is a game. Had that been in Parque Quay, 45,000 people, I think it would be riveting. I also know that uh, the branch, they looked at the possibility of Fitzgerald Stadium in Killarney, they looked at uh, Temple Stadium and Thurles, but um, there's issues there No, Temple Hill, uh, (laughs) it was unavailable Unavailable. It was up to you it It would
0: be in Temple Hill anyway,
1: I can tell you that much We have have tag rugby now five nights a week so I can't cope with that Uh, No, I think it comes back, Killarney Killarney and and Tipperary comes back to the um, the corporate side of it, the facilities aren't mm-hmm. quite there for the corporate side of what you'll be looking for for a European semi final. But uh, look down the road, this is going to happen. Thomond Park is the home of Munster Rugby, but for those games, quarter finals, semi finals, and indeed, I like I, I, I think the Christmas if Munster want to generate money, Munster, Leinster, Stephen's Day, they have mm-hmm. to give one of those to uh, Parker I guarantee you, you get a 45,000 sellout crowd. Look at the money you'd make out of that. I've always yeah. said over the years, they, that monster leinster fixture in Pro 14 or URC as it is now, being shifted to the Aviva, the extra money that Leinster were able to generate from that uh, has been a major factor in them being able to go on, build the facilities that they have, build the development structures they have around the, the province, these, these um, uh, development hubs that they have all around Leinster. So, look... The financial side of it is important, but uh, it's just a pity. The perfect star, I think, yeah. to lose. playing Monster and Parky equive would have been fantastic.
0: Neil, is there, there seems to be a good bit of anger among Monster fans. Some Monster fans, there are some who are quite, you know, pragmatic about it and accept what has happened. But there's an awful lot of anger as well at this match A is not in Toma Park, B not in Munster and has to go to the Aviva.
3: Yeah, like I think it's it's more a frustration with the entire situation. I think there's a lot of understanding of mm. how they've ended up in the situation rather than people kind of angry with Monster mm. for doing this. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. kind of go along what Fiona and Donald were saying there, where obviously I think that they they have to be questioned for it. They have to be kind of grilled on 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 how it's how it's come to this point. But I would probably be leaning on the side of there were two years of incredible uncertainty with finances. There were a lot of people laid off. Uh, even like a lot of staff of Monster Rugby laid off not just kind of people yeah. that they couldn't sign or things like that so I think it is probably it's understandable that they took the chance of booking a concert like that for, for that weekend having said all that if it was to happen next year or the year after where there was a similar clash I think that would be completely unacceptable I think this as a one-off having to take that chance was was okay like Don was saying it's that perfect storm of you know the fact that I think it's, is it something to do with the stage that Ed Sheeran has where it's out in the middle of the pitch or something that that's, that's yeah. the delay with the pitches being being playable again for a couple of weeks after that's probably just making it even worse. And by the way, has one person ever caused more chaos on the monster sporting calendar? Then
0: no. hey, yeah, Tony, you might you might next week just report back and let us know if if, if Ed <laughs> is being being, like being in a centre like that if that helps the Houston <laughs> or not or, or what your view is. Of, or you prefer if you just sit in the front as normal. Listen, um, Neil, do you know do we do we have any idea when um, Roundtree's backroom team might be named? We're hearing that it could be in the next couple of weeks. I know Mike Prendergast has long been linked with a return home. I, maybe Dennis Leamy's name has been in the mix as well. Do we do we have any timeline on when he's likely to name his backroom team? Do you think or Nothing know?
3: definite, nothing definite, yeah. he was speaking on the, the, I think it was at the rugby pod with Jim Hamilton, I think, uh, in the last week or so, and he kind of suggested that in the next couple of weeks, he, Okay, it's, it, it's not something that they're not just starting the process now of trying to recruit those people, because as Roundtree pointed out last week as well, that when he was interviewing for the job over the past couple of months, he had to go there with a plan, he had to go there with, you know, suggestions of names of people he'd sounded out, that, you know, th- this is the backroom team that I would try put together, so, I think you said he's had those kind of initial conversations with people about coming on board, and now it's actually just a case of, of signing them up and getting them in, getting them involved. OK,
0: all right. Um, last topic for discussion then, um, Fiona, and we won't go too big on this. I, look, I put it to you, and I don't want to be too dismissive here, right, and, uh, but I'm very conscious of the amount of overhaul in the squad in the last couple of weeks, uh, the amount of seventh players that were starting backline players in the three games before now in the Women's Six Nations that are gone and the fact that England are monstrous. If Ireland can keep England within 40 points, and I'm not being dismissive here, I think that's a fantastic result.
2: I agree with you. I think um obviously injuries as well. So Monane is going to be a huge loss on and how yeah. she's played. Um Sene going in. Um, you know, it seems the way Greg's talking as well, that Sene might go straight into that um starting lineup, which is is I, I, I think she's a fantastic player, but why wasn't Sene training with him the whole time if if that was the case? Do you know what I mean? Like so they're they they they're going in. He wants experienced players in there. Um I think it's gonna be one of the like his hardest game to date obviously but especially with the exodus of the sevens back line I mean there's people called up into camp they're probably only getting two sessions and they could be thrown into a start and
0: thrown team. in against England you look at the players that England have and not to be dismissive but like there's their, their household names Scarlett, Jess Breach mm. like Poppy Cleo like you're just talking about the best of women's rugby in one team and and this could be serious scar tissue here for some players if he doesn't manage the situation I can understand for this game why well, he's bringing the likes of selling back because you do not want to throw a 19 20 year old mm. Fiona in against this English team to be you know eaten up and spat out
2: yeah well exactly I agree with it I'm just saying maybe she should have been in there getting the calls because he's a new coach in there so why not have her in there as an older player kind of around the system that um, look it's going to be um, how could you put this lightly it's going to be very physical it's going to be um, England they're going to be exceptionally dominant they still haven't hit uh, their full gear I've been watching them they've been playing really well in patches they're not even happy with how they're playing and they're hammering hammering teams by 30 40 points so it's going to be tough over to England they're all trying to make a World Cup squad he's rotating but anyone he rotates with is just as good you know high caps with him so I I'm worried for this squad but I'm sure he's I'm sure he knows they've been told what they're going into and they'll just concentrate on their own game which is all they can do and if they can put in a performance defensively I think that's a good start for them
0: uh, if anyone's listening to this and and, and they fancy and I'll bet here on there, um a present company excluded, of course, uh, but the greatest sure thing in the history of sport this year is going to be England to win the Women's World Cup. They're gonna do it at an absolute counter, they won't be touched. I think for Greg McWilliams, Neil, if if you're if you're looking at the squad you know, the only way he can break this down and kind of get something out of the match is to give them maybe a couple of soft goals around the game. Like, right, we we, we want to win all of our own lineouts, or, you know, we we don't want to miss more than 25% of our tackles. Break it down in that regard so that they have something to focus on rather than the overall picture of the game, which we know they just cannot win.
3: Yeah, I think that's a very good point kind of just break it down to specific markers to hit, even in a post-match review and try not to as, as difficult as it's going to be, try not to actually think about the scoreline because, mm. you know, he was pretty honest yesterday. At his uh, on his media duty saying England are by some distance, the best team in the world. He was yeah. saying, even people are talking about how it's a shootout between England and France and the six nations. Yeah. He was saying England are probably 20 point, but 20 points better off than France at the moment. They've, yeah. they've scored just shy of 200 points across three games. So you're talking 60 plus on average a game. They've conceded 10 in three games like it's 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 not realistic for Ireland to go there saying you know we're going out to win this game as much as you might want to do it you have to be realistic yeah. about it and aim for the markers I thought it was a good point that Fiona made there about Sene Neopu that it it probably from the start of this tournament it seemed likely that you know we were going to be losing so many of these players for the the latter half of the tournament and that it would have been fairly likely that Sene would have been coming in anyway and you would have needed an experienced player like her than. Why hasn't she been involved? Just even to have around the squad in training to be able to slot straight back in because it seems pretty pretty certain she's going to be in the starting team this weekend.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, best of luck. Obviously, it's just it looks like an absolutely massive task, right? And uh, Friday night, um, live action on in the URC. It's Ulster against Munster. The teams will be named, um, tomorrow Thursday. So hopefully we we'll get full strength teams. And um, don't mind go back to reading Moss Finn's diary. Beating the All Blacks. I knew feck all about it. And sure look, we'll have a chat maybe on Friday at match. What about that?
1: No bother. As <laughs> long as you don't as long as you don't sing Ed Sheeran on the way off the car. There, I no promise.
0: Time. No, Ed Sheeran. I promise you'll have enough of that on Saturday night Broke back, Right, listen, thanks very much to Neil to Donald, and to Fiona. Thanks for listening. We're back next week. Enjoy the weekend. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish Men and Women's Rugby jerseys at Canterbury.com.